Welcome to my coaching podcast, Dancing in the Moment, where I chat to people from the world of coaching and psychology about their story, their approach, and their insights about the coaching profession. They're all people I like, respect, and admire for the way they show up in the world. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm here with Kathy Lasher today. Um, Kathy is a coach, a therapist, a um, coaching supervisor, and also someone who's written a great book called Better Thinking for Better Results, which is about reflective practice generally. Um, so, Kathy, welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm really interested to talk today about all those things, but really mostly about supervision, mm -hmm. coaching supervision. I know it's something that we have both been passionate about for a long time. Yes. And at Barefoot, uh, we have been offering supervision for coaches for at least 15 years. We've been running a training course for coaches to become coach supervisors for nearly as long. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to say, uh, it's only recently, actually, that I've noticed a, a really marked growing interest and appetite for supervision. Um, and I think that probably we, you know, we've talked before about how we notice that there's still some confusion, mm -hmm. a lack of understanding yes. about who needs supervision, how often, mm -hmm. what's the role of supervision. So it'd be really great to hear your thoughts about that today. That sounds great. I'm really delighted to be here to talk to you about supervision because I do think supervision itself is just the most wonderful gift a coach can give him or herself. Um, to actually access good supervision, good quality and regular supervision. We can talk about what that actually means. I wondered if it's worth, worth differentiating between the difference between the benefits of having supervision and the benefits of training as a supervisor, if you're already, as a, uh, if you're already a coach. What do you think about I think that? that would be great, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so why don't we start with the benefits of having supervision, mm -hmm. or maybe we need to talk first about what it actually is. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I, I was remembering when I was thinking about talking to you today, I was remembering an experience I had a couple of years ago, just a couple of years ago, when somebody uh, was talking about taking a client to supervision and the supervisee showed up with the actual client holding them by the hand and bringing them into the room to talk to the supervisor. Oh, gosh. And I think there's something very... I don't know, very sweet, I guess, and, and kind of ingenuous about doing that kind of thing. But to avoid kind of disappointment and, and embarrassment in the future, <laughs> it might be useful to know that actually what supervision really is, is the coach going to talk to one or more others about themselves as a coach and about their practice. Mm -hmm. And that includes talking about their clients 
um, but it doesn't usually include physically bringing your clients to the supervision. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate. I think a lot of times when I talk to people about supervision, they immediately get an old-fashioned view of what supervision actually is, like from an old factory or something. Ah, uh, quite, yeah. Mm. And visualizing somebody with maybe with a clipboard or kind of taking notes, looking over your shoulder, what are you actually doing there? Yeah. And I think in the coaching context, supervision is much more positive, helpful, building um, kind of experience for a coach than that kind of supervision. So the word is really unhelpful, it is. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I always split it, as many people do, mm. to being supervision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so somebody else having an objective view mm-hmm. on what you're doing and yeah. how you're showing up yeah um, and that tends to help people to think of it in those terms yes yeah well I think you're right I think it is very much super and I do think it gives you a different kind of vision on yourself and your work um, so if we just think about what we might mean by supervision why might a coach go to supervision what would it actually what would it be to go to supervision? So the first thing to know is that there are lots of different kinds of supervision. You can have, for one thing, one-to-one supervision, or you could have group supervision. And the clue is in the name there. Yeah. One-to-one is you as the coach with one supervisor, and the group means that usually there are a number of coaches with one supervisor. Yeah. But equally, in a group situation, it could be without a designated supervisor. So you could have, um, and that's the other way you can cut supervision, is either you can have an expert supervisor, somebody who's actually trained as a supervisor. Um, Probably a more experienced coach than Mm -hmm. you. Um, And you have very much a one-way can I say a one-way relationship where both of you are focused on the coach and on the coach's work? Very similar, in fact, to the way we think about coaches yeah. and coachees, where the two of you are together, but you're focused on the coachee. Yeah. Same thing with the supervisor. The supervisor and the coach are both focused on the coach. But equally, you could have supervision with a peer or a number of peers. And um, I think each of these two things has different benefits. Um, at different times in your career and your whatever, depending on what your portfolio mm. looks like. Is that clear? It I'm is. I, I'm wondering a couple of things. First of all, I'm wondering, you know, if people are listening to this thinking, yeah, I really need to get some supervision. Right. Um, and, and as mm. I ask that question, I, I also want to say that um, many... Uh, coaching clients and organizations looking for coaching are now asking mm. for coaches to show evidence that yes. they are in supervision. Yeah. So if people have reached that point when they think, okay, I need to do something about this, yeah. how would they decide which form of supervision was best for them? 
Well, I think that's a really good question, and um, I'm afraid I haven't got a particularly straightforward <laughs> answer <damn>. to that, <laughs> as you might expect. Um, you know, the answer to that question, as to many others that come up in a coaching or supervision context, is it depends. <laughs> that's our um, favorite answer, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good answer, actually. Most people listening to this probably use that one quite regularly. Um, I guess what I would say is that... Um, we need to think a little bit about what the function of supervision is. And I guess how I would define it is it's a way of sustaining and evolving best practice. Yeah. Right, sustaining and evolving best practice. And there's lots and lots of supervision models out there, many of which have been borrowed from the psychotherapy or counseling world in the first place and then tried to be adjusted for the coaching world. But largely what they do is they help the coach focus on themselves, ensuring their well-being and their longevity as a coach. Mm -hmm. Because as we know, sometimes the work we're doing has an effect on us. And maybe the material is close to our own material, or maybe we're frustrated with how we're doing things, or maybe we're trying to manage a busy portfolio with lots of different aspects in it. We're feeling pressures of some kind. We need to be able to sustain our own well-being as a coach. Supervision is a good way of doing that. So if we just take that one example, which do you think would be better? Would it be better to go to a very experienced supervisor who might perhaps know many other coaches over the years who have been in similar situations mm-hmm. and have an idea what best practice might look like mm-hmm. there and maybe have some ideas about what would be helpful? Or would it be better to go to a group of peers who may actually be experiencing something of the same thing so that you know, for example, that you're not alone? Well, I can see pluses and minuses sure. to either of those. Sure. But I would say that um, really the best thing is to have a bit of both. I think that uh, I think that availing yourself of expert supervision with somebody who's been trained as a supervisor who kind of has the experience and the mindset to stand in that position of interest and engagement without being overly involved in the situations that you're describing with a perspective of having done that with many people Mm -hmm. over presumably many years or months or years. Um, Some of the most experienced supervisors in the UK now have been supervising a long time. Mm -hmm. I I think I was one of the first who had a formal coaching supervision training, which is more than 20 years ago now. And I think there weren't many at the time. Now there are more um, experienced uh, supervisors around. But I think I'm digressing. So I was just thinking about um, the benefit of having an experienced supervisor who can kind of be in that position. But I also think that it's useful to have some respected peers with whom you can compare notes. Because I think supervision at its core is a way of helping the coach develop themselves personally and professionally. And... 
for a coach to be able to take a lot of responsibility for doing that for themselves, they might need to do it more regularly or more frequently than they avail themselves of professional supervision. So having some trusted colleagues yeah. that you can talk to in the way that we sometimes talk to each other sure. outside of a formal relationship where you can just say, yeah, this thing happened or I'm struggling with this or I read this book. Do you think it's any good? Mm. You know, what do you think of these ideas or which yeah. is really invaluable? Isn't it? Um, as you speak about it, I'm um, reminded that you said earlier, you know, group supervision can be mm. with peers or it can still be mm. led by an experienced yeah. supervisor. And I have run um, group supervision groups <laughs> for a number of years now, and they are closed groups. So it's okay. always the same six people okay. who come. There's also the option of open groups yes. where you just pop in. But yeah. in my um, particular interest is in running closed group supervisions. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's kind of the best of all the things that you've described because yeah. there is an experienced supervisor mm -hmm. there, there are also uh, there's also the power of the group yes uh, and the support and challenge of the group yes. and then there's the growth of the individuals within the group over some of them I've been running for three and four years now mm -hmm. with the same six people and honestly uh, mm -hmm. have noticed how much they have um, allowed one another to stand on their shoulders if, yes. you know those who've had successes have brought the other people in yes. the group with them so yeah. there's even a as well as an emotional psychological self-care element to it I've seen there's a business development element okay. to group supervision yes. as well yes well you have directly somebody with whom you're comparing yourself then and taking ideas from yeah. which is really helpful and actually <clears throat> even working together mm -hmm. You know, if someone's won a piece of work in the supervision yeah. group, who the first people they'll go to are yes. the people in the supervision group who yeah. they know to be um, experienced coaches who commit to their own mm -hmm. development in supervision. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it occurs to me that these are almost, you know, hard to define hybrids, aren't yes. they, somehow, between yes. coaching, therapy, CPD, action yes. learning sets. Well, that's an interesting point because I think supervision is one of the clearest, I think one of the clearest benefits of supervision is actually CPD. Yeah. It is a kind of um, professional development program that you can, in, um, you can participate in. And I, I think what you're saying about the closed group is really interesting because I think any group will give you a kind of cross-fertilization of ideas and support and challenge in a way that one-to-one um, -one you don't always get yeah um, and there's something about um, a closed group that builds a kind of trust among the members and I think while I'm on the topic of trust I think trust is a hugely important aspect in supervision so I was thinking when you asked me the question how would I know which one to choose um, a professional supervisor or a peer my biggest plea would be find somebody that you really trust because if you're not mm. taking your real true authentic material to your supervision it's not really very helpful so you really need to work with somebody that you can trust and whether that's a professional supervisor or colleagues um, in a peer group is less 
less important than the fact that you trust them. And I think in the closed group that you were describing, there's a kind of trust that builds up over the years. If you've been working three or four years in the same group, you Definitely. know each other so well that you can afford to be a bit vulnerable as well in the group, which um, you know we know from Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset tells us that the ability to be comfortable in being vulnerable is one of the best benefits of growth mindset, and that leads to a lot of personal and professional development. Yeah, I'm sure my supervision groups would really um, applaud that, mm. as I think of, you know, we've mm. all, including me as mm -hmm. the supervisor, have taken our turn in tears and yes. <laughs> tantrums of vulnerability yes. Yes. within the group. It's yeah. a real, really privileged relationship. I, I do want to put in a little bit of a plea for open groups, though, as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I, I've, like you, I've run a number of closed groups over the years and am still doing so. I also run a number of open groups, and um, there's something very refreshing about every time you come to the group... It's a new group. I agree. And yeah. it's so exciting. Yeah. And you, the the cross-fertilization of ideas and experiences, because you're kind of not taking anything for granted in terms of assumptions you might be making about each other that are built on years of experience, maybe. I don't know. I think it's just very fresh, and it can be very exciting and quite liberating to think, I can do anything here because I'm never going to see I these people <laughs> again. <laughs> I can bring anything. Yeah. And um, there is a kind of liberation yeah. in that somehow, I think. Absolutely. Um, I love that. I really uh, applaud all types of mm, supervision. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Mm. Um I, I'm we've we've got about ten minutes left, so okay. and we can we can enthuse together about the <laughs> benefits of uh, supervision forever. But I would really like to just think about training as a supervisor. Yeah. You know, what what's your thought? Because you said at the beginning mm. the difference between having supervision, accessing supervision, yeah. and then becoming a coach supervisor. Yeah. Well, I think having a supervision training as a coach is one of the most incredible ways you can supercharge your own coaching. There's something about learning to step back from the dynamics, the intense often dynamics of the coaching relationship itself, to see it from a third position, to see it from a supervisor's position. That even if you have no intention of ever working as a supervisor, will really enhance the way you coach. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how in pretty much every coach training, there's time when people work in triads. And that observer function is kind of a supervisor function. Why do we do that? Why do we offer that in coach training, in the basic coach training? Well, I think one of the reasons we offer that is because developing the eyesight of a supervisor helps us as coaches develop our own internal supervisor, somebody who can go with us to every coaching session we deliver. Doing a supervision training will enhance your internal supervisor even more, mm -hmm. and they will be more powerful and more effective before, during, and after the coaching sessions you deliver. I also think that why wouldn't you want to be a supervisor? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, there's a great commercial, an extra string to your bow then as a supervisor. I think it makes you um, 
gives you a wider variety of things that you can offer because in a way supervision in coaching is a bit like coaching a coach sure so you do a lot of it as a supervisor I do and most supervisors I know you do a lot of it in coaching style but with the added emphasis on some kind of thought about the protection of the coach the coachy, the underlying coachy, and actually the coaching profession as a whole. Yeah. I feel it's really important that supervisors hold some responsibility for all of that, um, you know, micro level, the coachy, the indirect coachy, the coach, also the coaching profession as a whole, ensuring good practice, good ethical practice. And these are the sorts of things that you can start to think about if you do a supervision training. Yeah. Yeah, um, I I love that description, and I'm also thinking as you were speaking then. How how does how do those additional elements that you've described, you know, holding the the supervisor holding care and protection mm. for the coach mm -hmm. they are supervising and the kind of um, ethical dimensions mm. of the profession at mm. large how does that actually manifest itself differently from coaching for people who haven't experienced supervision and okay. are listening to this so what would i see here feel experience right. differently between if i were watching you as a coach and you as a supervisor so the kind of feedback that i often get when i'm demonstrating supervision or indeed doing supervision with individuals the kind of feedback that i get is that at the beginning it feels a little bit like a coaching session and people start to wonder how is this different and that's usually in finding out kind of what the coach's agenda is for the session and what matters about that and why they're bringing it and so forth the sort of questions you might ask excuse me <coughs> in the beginning of a coaching session as well. But then there's a turn. There's a turn in the session where I start to perhaps be a bit more direct or indeed directive. So I might say, actually, I'm very uncomfortable with the way you've described that. And I don't really think that that's okay, the way you've done that, for example. Or I might even give um, a very direct instruction like I think it's very important that you go and tell that sponsor in that organization um, about this thing that has just mm. come up or your contracting with that client doesn't sound like it was strong enough the contracting with the coachee wasn't strong enough so now we've got this issue where you need to report something about it and you haven't got permission to break confidentiality about that so we need to think again about how you're contracting, for example, with your coaches. Yeah. So that would be different because yeah, sure. I would be making a statement. I would be giving my opinion. I might be, be signposting you directly to resources or specific actions that as a coach, because I'm quite an indirect coach, a non-directive coach, I would be unlikely to do. Yeah, yeah. That's a really great description. Thank mm. you. I might add to that mm. as well as the sort of ethical dimensions mm -hmm. and the contractual dimensions that sometimes there, from my point of view, when I'm supervising, there's uh, 
kind of developmental intervention. Yeah. So uh, yeah, sometimes good. when people say, I've tried every single thing with this client, yes. what you know, what else can I do? I might then do you a bit them. of mini CPD. <laughs> like, how, what yeah. about this exercise? Yes. Yeah, which is yeah. distinctly different from coaching. That's right. So I think, you know, how I think about in coaching is that the coach is likely to be... Um, possibly directive as to process but not to content yeah in a supervision session it's almost a bit more reversed i expect the supervisee to take charge to a certain extent of the process to prepare for the session to have an agenda to know what they want out of it to commit to actions so they're kind of um taking charge of the process a bit more yeah but as the supervisor I can also have an input into the content of the Great. of the session. Great. Oh, that's so clear. That's a real good differentiation. Mm. Um, I also said at the beginning that you're a therapist too. Yeah. So finally, I'm just interested to hear how you mm. juggle mm. all those different roles because I know I know you keep them distinctly separate there are some people who who say I am a kind of coach therapist yes but you have your therapeutic practice yes I you do. have your coaching practice you have your coaching supervision practice mm-hmm. I have my therapy supervision practice as well so you're also a, a therapy therapy supervisor yeah so how I think about that Kim is I I describe it in my own mind as um, two separate pillars that are completely symmetrical so one is a coaching pillar and one is a therapy pillar. And I have my own clients, so I have my own coaches, I have my own therapy clients, I have supervisees in both pillars, yeah. coaching supervisees and therapy supervisees, and I also offer teaching or training to those who are or want to become coaches or supervisors or therapists. But these two columns are held together by an overarching concept, which is reflective practice. That is the thing that holds these two things together. And what I haven't said already is that supervision, one of the most incredible benefits of supervision is that it's a fantastic reflective space. Preparing for supervision and indeed coming to supervision and reflecting again after is, I said at the beginning, one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself as a coach. Forcing yourself to have that kind of reflective space with the kind of personal and professional development that can come from a rigorous reflection. And a rigorous reflection means you don't just describe what happened, but you also think about what matters about that, Mm -hmm. what you want to learn from it, and perhaps most importantly, what you're going to do next. So that reflective practice thread runs through both of those columns and helps me kind of keep them stable. Yeah, thank you. Mm. Oh, I just had a kind of visual image as you were speaking. And thank you for everything you've said about supervision, reflective practice, coaching, therapy today. It's made me, you know, have a kind of renewed respect for everyone out there who's Mm. coaching and accessing supervision. Because I had this visual image of the client who goes to coaching and has no idea how many people are actually invested in their development. So their coach 
goes to a coaching supervisor yeah. to say, like, I want to do the best for this person. Yeah. Yeah. And that coaching supervisor, who's also invested in their training as a coach and yes. a supervisor, they then go to a supervisor <laughs> yes. who coaches them, and presumably so do they, yeah. Yeah. and so on. And, and that's what I think is so beautiful about coaching that mm. isn't always thought about. I and, think so. Isn't it? Yeah, it's wonderful. It's a kind of inverse pyramid. Yeah. Where each person has a wider perspective than the one before, but then it all gets fed back down for the benefit of the coachee and coaching generally. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I have really, really enjoyed hearing your perspective on all these things. It's excited me. Mm, well, thank you very much for the opportunity to do it. I'm always happy to talk about coaching supervision. I think it's really great. And uh, I encourage everybody to have a, have a go. Yeah, me too. And, and maybe you can come back and talk about it more and thank other you. things. I'd love to. Thanks, Thanks very much, Kathy. Thank, thank you. you.